Welcome to the Guide to Movies podcast with Joe and Sean. I am Joe. He is Sean. This is episode 42, and we're finally joined by one half of the Talking TV crew. Chris, how's it going? Dude, I'm very happy to be here, man. It's uh, It's been a while, but I think this is like the best, like the vibes are high in the pre-chat. Like I think we have one hell of a show for you guys tonight, so hopefully it was worth the wait. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, now, Sean, he says vibes are high, and that's pretty much because we are old people, and uh, 8.15 or 8.20 is a little late for us to be recording. I, I feel even worse because I started to realize it. I meet with my therapist every week, uh, Tuesdays before this, and um, she's starting to realize, you record the podcast before this, don't you? And it's like, yeah, you're more high energy, you're working with it more. I realize I give my best stuff to the therapist. Um, and then you guys get probably most of my emotional backlash. So, um, <laughs> good, good luck with that. It's going to, it's going to be a great show for a very later recording time. Well, I'm sure when we touch on Bill Maher, we'll get some of that emotional backlash, uh, on, on camera and recorded. So Chris, again, we're happy to have you here. Um, you're not letting Dom out of the basement today, so that's, we're fine with that. Um, but I'm sure we will, uh, we'll get him on soon and we'll get you on with him again soon as well. Let's jump right into what we've been watching. Um, quite a few random movies have come out, but we're really starting to get to the point where the uh, release calendar is starting to pile up, whether that's streaming releases uh, or in theater releases. We've seen a lot of shifts in the past couple of weeks. Um, the biggest one, Peter Rabbit 2, has moved yet again. I'm so excited. Um, that's a joke. Uh, but, Sean, let's start with your two films. Go for it. So I really did watch quite nothing um, this week. It's been the first time I usually give you like three movies because I can't decide between the 18 I watched. And there was, there was nothing really new I watched, nothing old I watched. I don't know if it was time or availability. Um, but I did watch a mini series um, or limited series, as you would call it, uh, that was very, very difficult to watch called Exterminate All the Brutes. This is a uh, documentary series directed by Raul Peck. And uh, it's basically about, uh, you know, uh, colonialism and uh, genocide at several different points in history. Um, it uh, is not a feel good. Um, and <clears throat> as a uh, white liberal, I just felt awful the entire time. And it was truly one of those ones that really like make you question, you know, like everything about like your background. And it's not just hating America. It's like hating European imperialism. It's there's so much to it that, um, and there's so much information brought in there, but it's brought in in such a creative, beautiful way that I couldn't keep my eyes off the screen, which is never what you would think with a mini series like this. But like, I, I put the phone down and just straight up watched, which was very shocking. <laughs> I have not, I mean, I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. So that is probably the most intro to it that I've had in quite a bit. So Raul Peck did the uh, uh, documentary a few years back, um, I Am Not Your Negro, which was like uh, outstanding. Um, and I think it lost to OJ Made in America, which is a TV show. But, um, you know, this is sort of his way of like, you know, saying, fine, I'll make a mini series with several episodes and uh, like try to win an Oscar for that. Um, but it was um, like that documentary like blew me away. And so when I found his name on top of this, I said, oh, I'm definitely going to be trying this out. And I'm glad I did, even though it made me, you know, feel quite... Uh, um, miserable uh, at times. <laughs> There's not a better word for that, but miserable, but, uh, you know, despondent. Um, the other one was a, a short film um, that I think 
Joe, you talked about in the summer that you saw. Uh, maybe not. It just sounded familiar when you were talking about it, but it's uh, nominated for an Oscar this year uh, for live action short. It's called Two Distant Strangers, and it is about a young black man and his interaction with a police officer. And it's told in the style of the Groundhog Day trope, which has been told like has been used a lot recently. Most recently, Palm Springs. Um, this was very good. There are people that are hating on this, and those people have a like have a point. There's a lot of stuff about it that I can see not liking. There might be some like you know obvious symbolism, some ham-fisted stuff in there. Um, but honestly, like it, at its whole, the way they tell the, like they decided to go with this Groundhog Day trope, which one would argue is disrespectful and very hard to watch, it's actually handled with a tenderness that I really uh, can't believe. And I'm trying to like skirt around. I, I feel bad even saying Groundhog Day style. Cause I even, I, I don't even want to, I wish I didn't say that, but like, it's, it's quite wonderful watching this movie, movie short film and sort of watching it still twist and turn within 30 minutes. The one thing Sean, that really always surprises me is you can watch something like Godzilla versus Kong or something equally mindless. And then you watch some of the most powerful thought-provoking films, TV shows, whatever it may be, uh, that it's just, it, it's so funny. And especially coming off of a weekend where you're like, I haven't watched anything. This is the worst case scenario. <laughs> well, that was it. I was I was very upset about having too much plans this weekend. And then I watched the last episode of Exterminate All the Brutes. And I said, maybe I should stop bitching about my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, it seems like it's been way worse up there. Oh my gosh. Well, Chris, you are our resident TV guy, uh, and one of these shows you I've heard you talk about quite a bit, and it, it's always on my list to get to, and that's with Kim's Convenience. But not you can start with whichever one, but uh, excited to hear your takes on these two. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I'll start with Kim's Convenience because you guys may or may not know this, but tonight is unfortunately the debut, or sorry, the finale, the last episode, a show that cut cut way too short. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on there, man. All I know is that I signed the uh, change.org for it, and there's not enough eyeballs on that. Like, There's this huge hashtag Kimbit movement, and honestly, the fans did not come out. I think the window has expired to save the show, unfortunately. But yeah, Kim's Convenience, if you guys don't know, is a really great show. It's a CBC, Canadian Broadcast Channel show. It basically tracks the day-to-day lives of uh, first-generation Korean immigrants and uh, their parents who uh, obviously immigrated over to Toronto. And so it's kind of like really cool to get like a different perspective in your sitcoms. And it's, it's I guess it's sort of like our version of uh, what's that show? Um, man, it's Super, like a superstore. No, no, not Superstore. There's there's another show with Asian representation that's a sitcom that's very popular right now. Um, what's his name from WandaVision was in it. Uh, the uh, the detective. Oh, guy. Fresh Off the Boat. Oh, fresh oh. Off the Boat. It's kind of like that. And both of those shows sort of um, they work together for like different like charities and stuff. So the the creators are very much in tune with each other. And uh, it's it's just got like such a heart to it that I haven't seen in a sitcom. I would have to say since probably like this is going to be crazy, but The Office. It's oh, wow. just. It's so underrated, man. Paul Sung Yi Lee is obviously getting a lot of fame lately from being like one of the pilots in Mandalorian season two. Uh, and of course, Simu Liu is he's Shang-Chi. So mm. this is the show where those guys really got their start. You know, um, it, it was a play for years. And the strange thing is the really strange thing is Inz Cho, who's the creator, walked away from the project. 
And this has been his only creative contribution that he's been able to get off the ground. He's a dude who's probably early 40s, who's just been struggling forever. He wasn't able to get this sold as a show back in like the early 2000s. So he made it a play. Then the play got popular. They went from selling like 200 cap theaters to 400 to 2000 to them being on Broadway for like two years to then getting picked up. So it's like the craziest journey that this man went through. And then he walked away from it. I'm just wondering what happened there, you know? So it's pretty crazy, man. The one thing that's really unfortunate is fortunate, but unfortunate, and you'll you'll get where I'm going in a second, is that we're getting a lot of great shows with representation and diving into cultures that we uh, probably haven't seen in quite a while, if ever at all. Especially with you know not only the, the television shows that are focused on the Asian community, but also the representation in films like Minari and The Farewell and all the other films that kind of branch off into that culture. But they don't pick up the way they're not the mainstream films or the mainstream shows. And they're always fighting for their spot on streaming or on broadcast because they're not making quote unquote, they're, you know, they're what's that word. They're not making their buck or they're not making their due. Um, And it's a shame because we lose a lot of great uh, products because of that. Dude, it really sucks, man. Like this show, it, it really only got its legs when they struck a deal, I think, halfway through season two to get it on Netflix for distribution globally. And it, it kind of got popular globally first because of Netflix. And then it started catching steam in Canada. But man, it's just, I don't know what happened there. I hope everyone's like, okay, like mentally and stuff. Maybe the strain of just like having instant success like that overnight got to him. And so I hope everyone's okay, first and foremost. But it is heartbreaking, man, because if you watch that show, I guarantee you, you'll love it. Um, and then the other show I'm watching, which is, I guess, kind of low key, which I highly recommend to both of you guys. It's called For All Mankind. It's uh, an Apple TV Plus show, and it stars Joel Kinnaman or Kinnanim. I don't know how you say it, but you guys know him, Suicide Squad, all that stuff. I love him. Well, you know what's funny? Dom and I, when we uh, ride to the movies together, we have you know our own little private podcast, I guess. And one of the big debates for years has been, is he a good actor? We really can't tell. It's like kind of hard to, to tell sometimes, but this show killed that conversation. Like it, yeah. it is an incredible performance. The whole cast is great. You remember the wife who played uh, Rick's wife on uh, Walking Dead mm-hmm. those first few seasons? I mean, I haven't seen her in anything in so long. Doesn't matter. She dusted off the cobwebs right away if she and she's killer in that. And it's just so cool. It's basically the premise. What if Russia landed on the moon first? And so it's kind of like the shock that that sends through America and the way NASA responds and the space race continues because of the fact that we didn't get there first. And it's so good, man. Yeah. So Apple TV plus killing it with that. But that that implies that like America and Americans are arrogant. And that just doesn't seem realistic. Is this a science fiction um, show or that, that Americans arrogant about stuff or anything like that? That just seems crazy to me. Yeah, who could imagine that? I, I don't. I mean, like, I guess it is revisionist history, I suppose. So, uh, but uh, no, man, I think um, it's it's very much so a I'd say Artur drama that you don't really get too much anymore. Kind of like a early two thousand style show, and just with just the amazing special effects that we have now. So that's about it for me. What about you, Joe? So just real quick on the Joel Kinnaman thing. I first um, became aware of him in house of cards, the Kevin Spacey show on that was on Netflix. I, I actually love that show. I'm a sucker for any political show. And that one right off the bat was just so um, energetic and deceiving and crazy. Uh, And then when he came on at Joel Kinnaman, it would just had like another infusion and people fell off of it. It had some issues um, and of course later had a big issue in that <laughs> Kevin Spacey is an issue. Um, but I, you know, I'm one of the people that thinks that show actually ended 
fairly well for everything that was thrown at it. Uh, Robin Wright, I love. I think she's such a great actress. Um, but Joel Kinnaman in that was so good. So anytime that he's in something, I'm kind of my interest is peaked. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go further in the Kinnaman conversation, and uh, just recommend because um, this is the first time I saw him, and that's why I was so excited to see him in House of Cards. Was The Killing on AMC? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just this tricky role where he's playing this. You know, he's playing a cop that's sort of a like burnout reject, and you think like, and this is the first time I see him, so I'm like. Does this guy just like actually suck? Like, I don't know if he's playing a decent performance. And he's not even a bad guy in the show. He's just sort of like, he just like wouldn't want to hang around him at all. I don't know if that's how he held himself or, but there was a, a like, and then so seeing him on House of Cards as this like, you know, straight edge Republican, like young Republican, like it was just a, <laughs> like, like completely like perf- perfect yeah. human. And I'm like, wow, there's, there's just a shift that happens there. Yeah, I would say you might not want to hang around him if you get to know the character Ed Baldwin, but he's <laughs> he's a complex guy. But he at least it killed the whole conversation of is he a good actor or not? Like he is just stellar in that show, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Interstellar, some would say. Um, you know, the thing with him is he's one of those actors that I I look <laughs> this sounds terrible, uh, but I look at his roles and he plays a lot of like gruff roles, right? And a lot of um masculine roles i guess it is but i'm like he's probably a lot of fun to sit back and have a beer with just just yeah. as a person just as a uh, like an a henry actor. cavill type that's yeah, play some video games with them or something different reasons that chris <laughs> but the films i've been watching one is voyagers um voyagers came out last week and it really got shit on a lot when it first came out um it's it's a tough movie in that it is not the best executed but it does have a really good story so it's a, a group of um lab babies essentially are sent on this 86 year mission where they ultimately their grandchildren are going to end up being the ones that arrive on this planet that potentially could save humankind. Um, Colin Farrell's there to like chauffeur them around. Um, and he's, he's decent for his role in the movie. I actually really liked them. Um, but the remainder of the film really hinges on the performance of the performances of the young cast um, and specifically, Lily Rose Depp and Ty Sheridan are both they're the two main leads. Um, and Fionn Whitehead is like the bad kid who I, he was fine. Um, but Lily Rose Depp and Ty Sheridan were just, I really enjoyed them. I thought they were really good. I just thought they brought a lot to the role. Um, there's, a, there's, there's something there in the film that makes you want to learn more about what's going on and maybe see what happens in the future. But it just, it faltered in some places. It really slowed down in some areas. Um they, it's kind of like, I forget the comparison that I made, but it's part gravity, um, part like Ender's Game in some sense, but not not totally. Uh, maybe Passengers, remember that film with, uh, uh, who was it, Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt? Mm-hmm. Um, the, that, it's It's got a, a lot going on, but I love a good sci-fi movie. So it was a decent watch. I, I would recommend it as a decent watch, but it, it wasn't as great as I thought it could be. Now let's talk about the oddest fucking movie I've seen in a long time. French Exit with Michelle Pfeiffer and Luke, Lucas Hedges. Um, first and foremost, Lucas Hedges. I am. I've said this to Sean the other day. He is going to become. Uh, he's going to be one of the best actors of our generation. I, full, I firmly believe that, and I think he's going to win an Oscar in the next five to ten years, hands down. When you look at the films he's been in, like Manchester by the Sea, you look at Waves, you look at Boy Erased, you look at this, like uh, even Let Them All Talk, which Sean, you and I were saying on the side. 
like that didn't get enough attention. Uh, and it's kind of surprising because the performance, well, it's not surprising, but the performances were so good. Um, I, I, this movie is very odd in that it is, it seems like it's a drama and then it spins into a, there's a supernatural element to it, which comes out of left field and you're like, what the F am I watching? But what I found really odd afterwards was that it kind of stuck with me. I was driving home and I was a little emotional thinking about like life and family and, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, uh, mainly because Michelle Pfeiffer is perhaps the best, this is her best role or her best performance, I would say in her career. And I think that's saying a lot at this point, especially given the films that she's been in. Um, and especially given the fact that this is a kooky ass film. Um, but I loved it. I, I don't know what it is about it, but it's just, it's weird. All the characters are weird, but it's got this charm and this humanity to it that really just makes you, I think, dive a little deeper into the relationship between especially Lucas Hedges and Michelle Pfeiffer's character. So I would recommend that if you have, if you get a chance to see it, it's very weird. I'm going to say that right now. And when it goes the supernatural route, you're like, what the f- <laughs> what am I watching? It, it at sounds this point, intriguing. I think about that, and I think like Lucas Hedges can handle it. Like it's at this point, I could just say that about his movies. After first of all watching Let Them All Talk, where you know Soderbergh pushes every single actor or actress mm-hmm. into a shark tank and says, you know, swim, and um, like, and the shark is Meryl. And I, I, <laughs> I think I, she I is think, playing Baby Shark in the live action film Baby Shark. God, I hope so. You know, she's so perfect for it. <laughs> Um, I, but like he, he is someone where it's like, oh, he's a, like, like a relationship with Michelle Pfeiffer where there's also a supernatural element to it. I'm like, yeah, Hedges can do it. I think like Hedges, like Hedges was in the last third of waves just showing up after like we're all emotionally devastated. And he's like, no, I'll be the light at the end of this god awful, not god awful. I love that movie. Like just like hor- horrid uh, tunnel. Um, but, you know, I, I have faith in Hedges and anything now. And Honey Boy is the other one I forgot to mention. Honey Boy was one of those movies that I wasn't expecting much from, but actually very much enjoyed. And a lot of it has to do with his performance. Uh, and Noah Jupe as the the young Shia LaBeouf. So, uh, Have you guys seen Lady Bird? And Lady Bird, yeah. That's Lady a, Bird. See, I love this, Lady Bird. Chris, this is what we did the other day. <laughs> we were texting back and forth, and we just kept saying, what about this one? Oh, yeah, he was in this too. It's wild. For a kid that, that young, or an actor that young, to have... The filmography that he does is just, it's really stunning. And it's um, its exciting to see because I think that's a little bit unrivaled in our, you know, age group, age category, if you will. Yeah. How old is he before we jump? I knew you were going to ask that. That's, <laughs> because, I think. I mean, he really has a baby face, man. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and he's, he's been, he, he's been playing high school kids for uh, quite a while. But you know, he, he's, he's recently 24 matured. years old. He's 24. 24 years old. Okay. So wow. that makes, he's close. Yeah. That's crazy, dude. That's insane. Good for him. It? that's amazing yeah it's wild so uh i'm excited to see what he does moving forward i'm also excited to see what happens with the oscars coming up and sean we are gearing up what less than two weeks now uh i am getting excited i made my official picks yesterday in the guide to movies podcast with joe and sean poll that you all can join i'll throw the link in the comments please do we have 16 people already so that's a lot of fun um Sean, hit us with your uh, what you did this week in your awards watch column. 
So uh, next week I will be uh, doing my official predictions. So it's going to be a long one. Buckle up um, (laughs) because I'm predicting everything. And but before that, um, I decided to examine all eight best pictures. And I like to do this every year is, you know, say something nice about them. Say why they could win best picture. Say why they like why they probably won't. What is like, you know, something wrong with them? What's something right with them? Sort of examine like uh, pros and cons of each one. I won't go through all eight uh, for time and also read the article. Um, But this one was relatively easy to give all the pros because I really do like all these movies. It was very hard to give cons for a lot of these movies. And that's pretty surprising. Like there was me saying bad, bad stuff about some of these movies was very difficult. In fact, Minari was straight up impossible. Um, And I... I'm just like very excited because it's doing something like that makes me think that there's actually a chance that something else will win besides Nomadland. Um, But Nomadland is pretty much a straight shot to win best picture. Um, I still like just identify that that is crazy because I I love the movie, but there's not, I wouldn't recommend it to my folks. And that's sort of a barometer I give on best picture. It should be something my parents like, not that my parents have like a worse taste (laughs) lighter taste but they're just not gonna watch francis mcdormand float nude down a river like that's just not gonna be what they do on a friday night and so i i think with that i hope that wasn't a spoiler to nomad land but maybe um i I sort of um at this point i like the idea of examining each picture's chances and imagining worlds or imagining avenues where if something was different this best picture would win. And if something was different in the culture or in, you know, the release state or in any like sort of like, you know, anything like what would happen then. So that's always like my favorite thing to examine. I love that stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about this um, quote unquote controversy with Nomadland that seems to be popping up out of nowhere? So this is the Amazon controversy. Um, this actually like was like sort of like talked about during its release date, even mm-hmm. where uh, people were just, um, <clears throat> People were saying that it depicts Amazon as not a horrifying workplace where, you know, workers are abused uh, like horrifically. And it doesn't do that. In fact, Francis McDormand works there like, you know, in two different scenes. And the scenes are very, very like, you know, 30, 30 seconds to two minutes long. They're not really that long. And so she doesn't really have a chance to ingrain her ingratiate herself into the workplace. I don't know if ingratiates a word um, <laughs> into the workplace. And. Like because of that, um, I, I think I, I don't know what happened. I think you know people see Amazon and they immediately you know get uh, triggered and upset, and they're like, "Wait, they didn't portray them as completely evil." I mean, I'll agree. Like, hey, I'm for the people wanting a union. I'm against Amazon on that one. Um, I think most of us would be. Um, you know, most of us probably want gigantic corporations to be broken up. But it seems odd to go after Nomadland when um, Sound of Metal is an Amazon Studios picture. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so, and, and they spend like three minutes in Amazon in Nomadland. that's the part that gets me is like they're not if this was a movie about her working at amazon and the whole time she has a great time and like they you know at the end of it all the workers lift her up and she's carried off and like you know all of the bosses are like way to go and bezos is like i'm jesus then yeah no i get it that's like you know that would be something i would be not on board with um but it's and granted also there's the part of it where they had to get permission from Amazon to use Amazon. And so they had to make sure they look good. And so I, I, I sort of get it, but it's really not too big of a controversy to me. 
I started seeing some articles pop up around uh, probably yesterday, I guess, regarding that. Um, and it was trending on Twitter, which is what kind of got me irritated because I'm like, this is like a manufactured, uh, you know, controversy. Uh, Chris, are you a, an awards guy when it comes to movies, TV, anything like that? Um, I don't really. I mean, I, I'm, I follow it. We're going to be doing an Oscars post show on our, our channel um, and it's because like, I want to just give it more of a shot, but like, uh, you know, being a musician, I always get so frustrated with yeah. the Grammys yeah. and it's just like, okay, so you guys preach all this stuff yet. You give the awards to the same five people for the past two decades. And I just, I can't take it. And it seems like it's kind of the same thing in film. I mean, at least we have like every now and then a parasite that sneaks in. So it gives me a little more hope than music, but that's kind of like where I come from in regards to like ranking art and, and like, you know, giving awards to art and stuff if you're not gonna at least try and be fair and balanced and have like an honest like i feel like they need to have podcast discussions where they can really hash it out for like an hour and a half and then they'll honestly come to like better picks because it just seems so i don't want to say rigged because i don't know what's going on back there and i don't want to like you know speak more than i know but it just doesn't seem i don't know it's hard for me to get into it is what i'll say because of all those types of factors well spoiler alert taylor swift is going to win again uh, Beyonce, I think, took a dump on Fifth Avenue, so she'll win again. Um, she gets a lot of praise for that type of stuff. Uh, and then Garth Brooks is going to be Entertainer of the Year again, unless he takes his, <laughs> yeah. his uh, name out of the running like he did last year for the CMTs, or this year, whenever that was. Time's irrelevant. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I enjoy the Oscars. The rest of them are kind of frustrating. I did love the SAG Awards. I told you this, this last week, Sean, because the SAG Awards are just like, let's get it done. Let's roll one hour. <laughs> um you know what award show I really like though? The uh what is it? The Independent Spirit Awards or yeah, something like that? Yeah. That feels like an honest award yeah. show where they're really like understanding the movies they're talking about and you know just that that to me I feel like should be a template of what we go off of. Cuz I like Oscar bait movies, man. Like I actually even kind of dislike the term Oscar bait. I just think those are like good types of films. Like I saw Nomadland. It completely ripped me in half and I plan on never watching it again, but I'm glad I saw it, you know what I mean? And uh, so, yeah, that one award show, they nailed it, I thought, last year. If you're looking for another film to rip you in half, may I recommend The Father? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid to watch that one. Yeah, yeah I would be. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's, it's so tough with the award show thing because um, everyone always like brings on the same sort of bit where it's like, well, the, the right film never wins. And um, I mean, on one hand, that is almost very true. But it does make the parasites all the more sweeter. Like that moment's gonna stand the test of time for Oscars for me. Like Jane Fonda looking up, parasite, and I'm just like, <laughs> ah! oh man. So I, I, those are worth it. I like when I look back at an Oscars year and know they got it wrong, and wonder what was the finger on the pulse at that time, and I, like, or the, like, what was the culture at that time? Like I was thinking about it that, like uh, this week when I was doing my article. And I love to sort of look at that. What were people thinking when in 2010, the King's speech beat the social network? And I just love to just like, you know, like, just like, like put a warm blanket around me there and just be like, let's have that debate because everyone was all for the King's speech. Everyone was loving that movie then, man. Like what happened? Yeah, that's a great example. Dom was literally just talking to me about that last night. Like it, it blows his mind to this day. It's, and I totally it's understand. The worst one. 
Well, speaking of opinions on award show uh, award shows, uh, we do have another opinion here that I do want to play, and I'm going to share this video for a little bit. We'll just get some of Mr. Uh, what's this? Bill Maher. Do we know him? Bill Maher's oh, thoughts. Bill Maher, yes. I believe Bill he Maher. has a uh, series. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> uh, enjoy this series, Sean, because I think this is going to enrage you a little bit. Um, but, you know, that's part of the fun of this podcast, I think. <laughs> All right, here we go. And finally, new rule, the Oscars need to change their name to the Debbies. As in Debbie Downer. <laughs> because judging by this year's Best Picture nominees, you couldn't have a worse time at the movies if there was an active shooter in the theater. All right, we're going to stop it there, only because that really just irritated me hearing that comment, and I had not watched this prior. Um, so I apologize for that, but I, I should have warned you on that one. Yeah. Um, well, he does that. He wants to, you know, make you go, Oh, instead of make you laugh. Um, Can I just add, have you guys noticed that he's kind of, I feel like changed his political views lately, yeah. like in the last yeah, six months. No, have you guys noticed that? Yep. And, well, and, it's and wasn't there like a tank in ratings before that or something? Right. I don't even follow him too much, but yep. He has always been like very, he, he always like throughout everything, throughout every president, he's always made sure he like, like defies liberals. He never wanted to be like, you know, like, like a liberal. He never wanted to be called a liberal, anything like that. So, um, so I think he's just more of an anti-establishment. And so he'll like, you know, he does go after everyone, but you know, it's, it's just one of those things where I, you know, I, my, my issue with him was when he I, I believe he said this was a few years back. He uh, he said the N word um, on his uh, mm-hmm. on his show and then like, you know, apologize right after. Now, it didn't bother me that he apologized for saying the N word. You should apologize for that. You shouldn't do it. But you should. But the week before he had a little segment like that Oscar segment that was about like fake apologies that celebrities give for things that like could cause offense. And I'm just sort of sitting there and I'm like. I mean, it, it, he, there's there's this like business side to him. There's this hypocrite side to him, and he's someone who's so smarmy and douchey that like that's part of his shtick. So he'd probably be like, "Yeah, that's what I like." The, yeah, I agree with you right now, Sean, because he's going to be a listener and he'll contact us later. But um, <laughs> friend it, of the it, is, <laughs> it is it is one of the things that like you know he like he, he'll just keep on saying that. No, that's my that's my shtick, and it's like, yeah, well, I mean, now you're Serpico, where you don't know where you belong, and you, like you've just become the asshole that you were planning on like you know trying to play. Um, I'll I'll cover what he sort of says in that uh, clip. Um, he says that the eight Oscar nominees are um, a bunch of depressing um, Oscars, like just like all or depressing movies and stuff like that. Um, to him, I will say, yeah, kind of. But then he tries to stretch it. Trial of Chicago Seven is about some heavy issues, but that's a fun, entertaining romp. That puppy is not sad. <laughs> like, I mean, you get a little bit angry once in a while, but you're dealing with Sorkin dialogue here, man. You're not going to get that, like, bummed out. You can't um, take a break. <laughs> exactly. Sorkin just goes. That's but actually yeah, my exactly. problem with the movie, but we don't need to have that podcast right <laughs> now. No, that, that, yeah, that, that's actually, like, what I said was the issue with it, like, or, like, what people would find an issue with. Um, and, uh, you know, yes, there are a bunch of other ones that have a uh, depressing subject matter, but uh, that's where you get something uh, dramatic. Um, that's where you get something that makes you feel and makes you have emotion. Should there be more comedies in best picture? Absolutely. I would love that. I would have loved to have seen Palm Springs there. All right. I would have loved to have seen, let them all talk there, but that was a gigantic pipe dream. But I, I look at something like this and I say that this is nothing new. 
This is what has been going on for a while. There's a moment in that clip where he talks about, we used to have movies with meaning that meant something. And then the pictures were Do the Right Thing, Schindler's List, and 12 Years a Slave. And I'm like, is he actually still trolling us? Because those are some of the most devastating movies that I've ever seen. Right. And he's complaining about the movies now being Debbie Downers. The last thing he gets into, and this is where he goes after the liberals, and he just says, you know, liberals just want to make movies about the issues and not actually do anything about the issues. I mean, you could sort of argue that, you know, sometimes the Hollywood elite just makes the movies about them and doesn't put their money where their mouth is. You can, you know, try to put them to task on that. But I think lately what they're doing, the, you know, I'll I'll do quotes, Hollywood elite, what they're doing is they are telling a story with a message that is being delivered to the general public, us trying to educate us about people like in nomad land that I didn't know anything about because I am pretty goddamn privileged. And I think that's still an important thing to do. Now, after I say all this stuff, I'll just say easily Mars doing a comedy sketch. All right. He's doing, he's making people laugh. That's his goal in this. He doesn't mean it seriously, but he is always trying to like, you know, skirt that line. And, you know, that's what drives me nuts about this. I mean, when he went after the Oscars, that's how I just got mad, but it's just one of those things where, okay, I think I'm good. I think I'm done. I'm shaking a little bit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I think the one thing that gets me is, you know, like, oh, the liberals just want to make movies about the issues and they don't want to do anything. But part of doing something about things is educating people on them. And a lot of the films that we have in the best picture are, um, are educated, educational. I mean, every one this gets into an argument we had on a different pod, but every one of them communicates uh, and focuses on a specific topic or issue that is, prevalent and relevant to society now should they all be the ones that are best picture nominees i I mean that's that's the issue every year with films right with uh with awards i should say is we're not the ones that are picturing it picture pick picking whoo pictionary uh picking this um it's you know we don't make the nomination so it drives me a little crazy but chris um bill maher doing this shtick uh you mentioned you think he has kind of pivoted and changed his uh, politics a little bit. I'm with you there. Is he doing that all for comedy and for the sake of ratings? I mean, it kind of seems like ever since the, uh, the orange guy isn't in office, they're all sort of like reshifting. Like if you just look at all the networks, you have different hosts and different time slots and different panels coming around. And I just feel like it's like, man, you know, all of them are just like I, I get all my news from alternative sources. So mm. I think they're all lame. Just to be completely honest with you, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, they're all to me. It's just like I don't want to I want like the stories. I'm a journalism major, so I'm on Substack a lot and we don't need to get too into the weeds and all that. But I just can't stand the framing. Once I learned about that two years ago. And so it just seems like to me, like Bill Maher's trying a different framing, man. He's going to the right side and he's sort of seeing how, you know, he can push the envelope there like he and I'm not too familiar with his career, but he seems like the guy who is the shock value guy who will say something like that joke that we didn't vet you know it's like all right now he's just doing it to the other side because maybe the ratings were dipping it just seems lame to me that that's really what it is to me i always forget that bill maher exists until something controversial like this pops up and i think that kind of answers the question that i asked a couple minutes ago right like he i don't know i'm surprised that he still has a platform on hbo because he has uh he has done things like this in the past that are kind of like shock value. I don't think anything that he said was totally terrible. Like it's opinion, totally get that. Um, but some of the examples that Sean had provided, I, I thought 
for sure that would be the end of him in the past, and it wasn't. Um, you know, I only hear about him when there's controversy. Like, I don't ever hear anyone say that they just genuinely watch him to watch him. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, what? Did, look what he just did. Like, that's oh, okay. So now we're gonna he- talk about Bill Maher. You know, like it's maybe like the that view. Says something. It's like the view. The view doesn't work unless they're arguing <laughs> with one another. Right. Um, yeah. Whoopi Goldberg versus Megan McCain is always my favorite. All right. So let's move on to some of the news we have here and talk about a Zack Snyder film, story by Zack Snyder, screenplay by Zack Snyder and Shay Hatton and Joby Harold, directed by Zack Snyder. This is. Um, the film that today in a Q&A, Zack Snyder said, it was great. Uh, very supportive studio. Uh, there is, you're not going to have to see a bastardized cut. <laughs> uh, and I love that. But we we got the trailer for Army of the Dead. And Chris, r- starting with you here, what were your reactions? Oh, man. It, it seems simultaneously so smart and so stupid at the same time. And <laughs> it's because like... You know, the cast is just doing what you expect them to do, and it looks fun, and it looks campy, and it looks, you know, like, okay, cool, like, we know what's going to happen, but then they have this kind of cool thing where the zombies are organized, and they're intelligent, (laughs) and that was like, whoa, we're going to ask that question, and the back half of this very wacky and zany trailer? Okay, like, Zack Snyder, man, like, you have this way about you, like you were saying before we jumped on live, Joe, it's like he has this charm to him because he just doesn't care. I feel like he that's an artist, though, to me. And that's why, like, yes, he sometimes swings and misses for sure. But like, he's not afraid to step up to the plate. And so like, that is what really came through the most. And I'm sure we'll dissect it a little more as we go further. But like my initial reaction, I'm intrigued and actually really looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't believe that the zombies are unionizing, Sean. That is a real surprise here in this film. Uh, (laughs) uh, Zombie Francis McDormand floating down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Amazon is pissed. Um, but uh, yeah, Sean, you and I were talking about this earlier. Um, there's, It's definitely a big, wild film. They filmed part of it in Atlantic City, I was reading today, which is kind of funny to me. Um, but what they it, didn't what, have to change any of the setting when they <laughs> that place is like a goddamn ghost town. They're like, we need a rundown casino with broken things and people that look like zombies. Uh, is there a closed casino? They're like, no, we have an open one that fits that building <laughs> right over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Sean? <laughs> this, this motherfucker. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> Zack Snyder. He's he's making a two and a half hour zombie heist movie. He, he uploads a three minute trailer. Like this guy doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> what an editing studio is i, I really i i mean I, th- th- this like visually looked great um zombies are a sweet spot for Zack snyder i love dawn of the dead and like you know to remake dawn of the dead the balls on you dude and you just make it a totally different movie and you kill it that movie rules and so i am all for this kind of thing it's lo- i love that they set up the heist for a while we have dave batista in this dave batista's in it i'm watching it my Spy is a good movie because of Dave Batista. <laughs> I don't disagree with that. <laughs> like, it's kind of nuts. That, but... um, I want to see. I wanted to see a little bit more of Tig, just because Tig was the big deal of replacing uh, Delia. Um, but uh, I, I still just love the way this trailer is cut because um, I don't know too much about music, and but I do know the song "No One to Hold Them, No One to Fold Them," but don't know it right away. Right. And so, like when it like started to reveal it, I was like, "This is." <laughs> This is a great cut trailer. Like, oh, and the way that they just isolated the vocal at the end. And because 
because like Zack Snyder has the greatest needle drops in the sense that you need to pay attention to not only the feel that the music's giving you, but the lyrics and the way that it's interplaying with the story. And he's so good at that. Like, sure, everyone's like, oh, he uses Hallelujah, like in everything. But like, honestly, does any other filmmaker employ that song as well as he does in his trailers to get you enticed? I don't know. I mean, he did a really good job with the Snyder cut and like I was hyped on it and I was a hater the year before that. So it's like he really seriously, he really like gets to me with like the way he employs that stuff. And yeah, no, Joe, I didn't want to cut you off. But like no. that was when, when Sean said that I totally forgot about that. But like, God damn, man, that was amazing. I was going over to you for this conversation, actually, because I it, the one thing I really enjoy is that it seems like he takes a lot of pride in the trailers that that are cut. Um, and you know, of course the music plays a big part in any trailer or film or TV show. Uh, and this, obviously the lyrics and the meaning of the, the song fit. Uh, but then even when we get into the action and when the song is breaking into certain beats, the way that they sync up is just phenomenal. It like gets you going and you know, it's coming. If you know, Zack Snyder and you know, his films, it happens in every trailer. Uh, and it even happens in, you know, I guess the follow-up, this is, is this considered that? No, we got a teaser. This is the full trailer. So I'm sure we'll see it with like, we're probably going to get hallelujah in the next trailer, but um, I'm okay with it. There's meaning behind that for the, for the family, but uh, no, I'm pumped. I'm so excited. And listen, if that's one of Siegfried and Roy's tigers that are, uh, I, <laughs> go for it. If, I'm tell, if, if they like, so they, they, they brought out the tiger, which I told you about uh, earlier that I was a little bit disappointed. I would have loved to have seen, you know, zombie tiger been shown up like in the middle of there. But if if they if they don't bring out zombie Siegfried and Roy with that tiger, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I know I, they definitely I want zombie. Can. I want zombie Britney Spears residency, right? Like her <laughs> just quickly going into the uh, van. Like, <laughs> imagine like Imagine Dragons just starts walking down and yeah. they can hit that meme in there. The uh, Blue Man Group start like. <laughs> I'm all if he for really it. has fun with it with these celebrity cam, I don't know if this is happening, but if there's like those kind of celebrity cameos in this, where you know there's like those zombie people with residencies, that would be pretty brilliant. I don't see that as the mood of this film, but God, that would be wonderful. Um, th- but regardless, this is a great sandbox that Snyder is playing in, and you can already see like this guy probably was smiling the whole time he was making this movie. Like he, like he just looks like a little kid. I bet just like you know, like, oh, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. So right then and there it's like this director was having fun so i'm ready for this to be fun yeah yeah, yeah and uh, you know real quick before we jump off this uh, i don't want to take up too much time in the segment but you brought up the mood and i think this is actually really important to talk about with this specific trailer because as funny as it seems like it's going to be as lighthearted as it seems like it's going to be i feel like it's kind of gonna knock us off of our feet in the sense that we might get hit with something way more heavy than we were expecting And I don't know why I'm feeling that way, but I think it's just because like, you know, I've been trying to watch trailers more so recently. I hate doing it. I get, I hate spoilers, but I've been trying to study the art of it. And, and so I've consumed quite a bit lately and it just seems like this is the most tender love and care I've seen in a trailer in a long time to not spoil too much, but convey a feel, a mood. And, and so like, I don't really know what to expect with this one other than like a wild ride where I think I might actually think a little harder than like I did for Godzilla vs. Kong, you know, even though they seem like they're shaping up to be a similar, similar cut from the same cloth type of ordeal. Zombie Kong. It, it really, <laughs> that would be, wonderful. That'd be awesome. Um, 
Uh, the one thing I think that bothered me, and maybe this will get cleared up, but like in, in the trailer, um, the guy that's planning the heist uh, is just like, you know, easy in and out. Then they're all like, easy in and out, easy in and out, easy in and out. Do they not know that like Vegas is chock full of zombies? Because I feel like by then the apocalypse is already going on. Well, th- my buddy this is I- a dumb nitpick of a trailer, but still, that was one thing that got me. <laughs> my buddy and I were talking about that too. And if like the only thing I can think of is that one scene where like they go over the, it looks like giant crates or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're there's a shit ton of zombies laying around. Um, that's the only thing I can think of that maybe there is some sort of separation and yeah. they have to go through it or like something. I don't know. Um, but the crazy thing is Netflix seems to be really high on Army, Army of the Dead because number one, they're giving the theatrical release and limited theaters a week prior to the Netflix release. They're getting, they're, they've already filmed a prequel for it called Army of Thieves. And there's also going to be a, I believe an anime series that the entire cast returned to voice. Um, so they're all in on this and I'm kind of, I mean, I'm happy to see a filmmaker have an, have a place to flourish and Netflix gives that latitude to its filmmakers. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to get like a 17 hour movie at some point from Zack Snyder, but I'm excited to see what happens here. Do you know how Netflix can be operating on a deficit for years like this? I mean, they're just throwing money left and right. The the Knives Out deal, which was insane. insane. Two films before we even see the first one of Army of the Dead. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you guys saw with Sony. You know, mm-hmm. I know, like, just real quick, like, how? I don't understand it, man. Their projections must be really wild. They canceled a lot of shows, too. They That's can't, fun. like, a lot of shows that, like, we don't even know about that, like, just came and went. Um and they canceled Glow, which freaking sucks. Bring back Glow, <laughs> justice for Glow. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, an- another area or another film series that's really not hurting uh, is the Saul film series. We're getting a 10th Saul film, even as the ninth one has not released yet. Uh, Spiral comes out next month with Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. I'm very excited to, say, to see Samuel L. Jackson say something like, you know, like, fuck that puppet or something. Um, you know, something like that's coming. I'm very pumped for it. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're getting a 10th Saw film. Uh, James Wan has been attached to just about all of these, if not all of them as producer director of the first, I believe it was, um, which is pretty exciting. Uh, I, 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 James Wan is great at horror. Obviously we're not seeing that flourish in DC with the trench anymore. Uh, but to see Saw 10 or another Saw, I'm all for this. The only reason being is that, if even if it's a shitty horror movie, Sean, horror is so easy to just keep going with and keep making sequels. Look at what we see with Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, the Leprechaun series, like all that stuff. Um, and Saul is just all about the traps and you know, torturing people in creative ways. And I don't, I'm scared that these people exist that can write these films and come up with 54 plus traps over the course of all the films. Uh, we just did trivia for horror last week, so I have like the stats in my head, um, but. Sean, you haven't – I don't think you've watched these yet, have you? So uh, with Chris and Dom, I watched the first Saw. But the problem is I've never seen it before, and I just did a watch-along. And I've never done a watch-along before. I realized I'm supposed to watch the movie first (laughs) because we talk about it the whole time during the movie. So I was kind of like seeing what was happening on mute, and I was like, all right. I mean, I kind of get it. (laughs) But, um, I yeah, so I've never really seen these. I'm familiar with like sort of growing up with them and what the this atmosphere became. And I use the word that Chris doesn't like or a phrase that Chris doesn't like. And um, I, I will back off it in a second. But it sort of awoke, awoke the torture porn genre type of thing. I think Saw is better than that. I think Saw is deeper than that. It's a little bit more fun than that. Um, 
But when you get into like next saw after next saw after next saw, that's when we start to lose ourselves and lose what we really are. So when a 10th one comes in right after some crazy offshoot, I think this might be something where we have a return to form. Um, and it is a little bit more like I, I really want like a very I know it wasn't just one person in the first saw, but I want a very personal feel. And I don't know if many of the other saws did that. I think it was like a group of people going through a haunted house. I don't know that for sure. Um, <laughs> well, Chris, you know, I, I do think that that's one. Like, these aren't just torture porn movies or they didn't start that way. Um, one of the things that I always said that people used to make fun of me for, I was always like, but it has a good story. Because I do think that the core story of the Saw theories with Tobin Bell in, in particular was very uh, unique and very smart. Of course, they branched off of that after, you know, he his character dies and so on and so forth. But what are your thoughts on this, Chris? Yeah, I just think um, because of like the impact of the first one and sort of the way that it kind of changed the game, I feel like maybe Texas Chainsaw was, I guess, another one of those sort of like hack em up movies that had more yeah. depth than I think people gave it credit for. And so I definitely can agree. I haven't seen all the saws. I've seen the first two and, and I've seen like bits and pieces doing extracurriculars with friends and stuff, um, keeping it podcast safe there, of course, with the phrasing on that. And so the one thing uh, I can... Killing people? Um, what kind of extracurriculars is saw? Oh, no, no, no. I just meant like... You, you said know, bits and pieces, sir. I heard bits and pieces. You have bits um, and pieces of friends. 911.com. Is that how you do it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I, so I think... Yeah, I think all these horror franchises kind of like I'm working my way through Scream right now um, mm -hmm. for some reason. And you clearly see like a clear up and then they go down and then they go up and it's like watching a stock, I guess. Like it's for <laughs> how if they go on forever like that, there's going to be rises and falls. But I just think like some of the, you know, saw Texas Chainsaw, those kind of films, I think. I understand how they get away from form and I do agree with Sean. It does seem like we're getting a return to form here with this new trailer, which I love the trailer, by the way, Chris Rock looks awesome in it. I don't understand why people are like saying he's not going to be able to pull it off. That just, to me, it makes no sense. I'm already sold, but I'll let you go in a sec. I just want to, um, I know I take too many tangents. I'm sorry. It's, it's when you absolutely not. Have you heard our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I appreciate that guys, but, uh, yeah. So I guess like, because of the um, symbolic uh, importance of the first sort of Saw film and I think the legs it's given so many other sort of B-films, that, that's why I just think you have torture porn movies, but I think to throw that in the hat with Saw is, I guess, not disrespectful, but I just think it deserves more than that because of what it was able to create. Because it's a, it's a riveting ride, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this new one. It looks really awesome. Sorry, Sean, what were you going to say, man? <laughs> this was um, my my issues with uh, Chris Rock, and uh, you know I feel bad because Chris Rock. I, I'm a huge fan of Chris Rock, huge fan of the stand up. Um, his acting ability um, is a little bit tough for me. Um, I watched the the fourth season of Fargo, and he had to do a lot, and he had trouble doing it, and it was just really like I I hope I, I'm rooting for him in this. I hope it works. Um, I want it to work really bad. But that was one of the things that, uh, like, you know, bugged me about this. I also just wanted to mention, this is going to be uh, Saw 10. Um, they could put an X on there. They could make the poster creative with what body parts they put on, uh, you know, like you I don't, like you cross two arms or something like that. Or, you know, I, this could be a little bit fun. An arm and a leg, yeah. Ooh. 
<laughs> Mix them up, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Mix them up. Um, I'm excited for it. I The Saw movies when I was in college were uh, my roommate and I used to go every year because they were on that like annual release Halloween schedule. And it was, it was a fun thing to go do. Um, so I do enjoy them. I don't know that I've watched them all through because I usually sit there like, oh, no, God, stop. Um, and Hostel was another one that came out um, That's the one, yeah. around that time that was like, there's one scene in Hostel, Hostel that absolutely... That, like makes me want to throw up right now anyway. So um, we're going to move on to a better topic. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is joining the cast of Indiana Jones 5. John Williams is returning to score. Uh, and Shia LaBeouf is now confirmed to reprise his role. Uh, thoughts on this, Chris? The Shia LaBeouf piece is not real. Oh, God in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I'm really excited, first and foremost, to see what John Williams is capable of. He's uh, certainly getting older, and I think lately he's done a little bit more adaptation and sort of like reprising some of his older works rather than like contributing new pieces to like some of the larger films that at least I've paid attention to. And he's like one of my favorite composers. So, I mean, even before I was a movie guy, like Star Wars was one of my favorite movies forever, and it's still one of the reasons I say I wanted to create art even though like music was my first love and, and obviously now I love film and TV so much and I think a lot of it's because of his music and the way he was able to sort of paint that background to those ama- that amazing space epic that like changed the game and Indiana Jones man like I think they're great I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is it is what it is to be honest though I saw it in theaters I was young and I had a great time because uh, it was like my Indiana Chris. Jones movie and so I have a little bit anyway. of a soft spot for it. I also love Shia LaBeouf. I was, you know, I watched him on TV when I was a little kid and it was cool, man. I love Harrison Ford, but I get it. I do get it. But like, I'm, I might be a little biased towards Indiana Jones is what I'm saying. So I'm looking forward to it. Sean, before we jump over to you, I just have to apologize for my grunting there because the the one thing that I always take umbrage with with people uh, is when they like shit on someone for liking a film when it's the film that they grew up on or, or grew up with in the series. So Star Wars gets that a lot. I think like Harry Potter films to an extent. Um, you know, there's a lot of those, but like you identify with. Well, that was the fussy camera. <laughs> yeah, but Sean, what do you think about this uh, Indiana well, Jones trailer? So here's my thing about Crystal Skull. I um, I get. I'm guessing at this point I was a little bit older than you um, when I came to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I did walk out of the theater being like, okay, okay, that was a thing, that was something. And then um, you know, a few days later, I was like, this was terrible. And then I realized I remembered Temple of Doom exists. Now this might get us some letters, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like Temple letters. of Doom is just as zany and insane as Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull just has wackier effects. That's really all it is. It just gets even crazier. So, you know, I think that Crystal Skull's got its problems. I think they hopefully have learned from, like, you know, a lot of their mistakes. They're still going to make this an Indiana Jones movie. It's going to be weird because Harrison Ford is, like, you know, the guy is timeless, but he is getting up there. Uh, He is getting a little up there. It might be tough. It'll be fun. If uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge just kind of like like is her fleabag character and sort of looks to the camera during different parts and just like knowingly is just like kind of like the the you know Halpert face or the Waller-Bridge face and it's just kind of like what in the world um, that would just be like a lovely little uh, tick. Um, I want to say like I I think I really agree with your John Williams take um, with uh, but I have loved his most recent Star Wars scores. You're right, they're adaptations. 
Like they're, they're absolutely adaptations, but he brings something new to them and he still drove home these character themes to these new characters. And I like, that was something where I was just like, Oh, he's still got it. But yeah, I'm also a little bit worried about him. Does he want to rest? Is he okay? (laughs) He is a workhorse, man. He really is. I mean, even if he is like, you you know, adapting the music and offering a few new pieces here and there. I mean, Still, the dude's. What, is he like in his eighties? I think he's. I think he's ninety. I, I think oh I heard God, like last. Yeah, insane. I gotta look that up wow. to be sure. But I, I thought okay. I heard that. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. god. He was born in nineteen thirty-two, so he's seventy. Um, never mind. I lied. Yeah, nineteen or nineteen thirty-two. Okay. So, I mean, what, his he's still sharp. That's one. That one thing's for sure. Yeah. And I apologize for cutting out there. The point I was making was, um, it's similar to Saturday Night Live. How people that grew up with Saturday Night Live identify their seasons back when they were younger as what Saturday Night Live was was in its prime. Um, But then you have people that grew up with like the Amy Polars and Tina Fey's of the world and even Keenan to this extent, right? Like has continued on. And um, it's a show that keeps reinventing itself because of the new audiences that come in. And I think that some of these series of films with such time in between the releases, if doing it right... Uh, they they have the opportunity to do that. James Bond may be one of them, actually, uh, thinking of how they kind of recapture the the character in the moment or in the time that the film is coming out. So, yeah, that's our no, podcast. See you later. Think, okay. um, <laughs> well, the last thing I kind of wanted to say to that was use the, uh, the, the sequel trilogy as an example of sort of you know, maybe just because you're you're playing the fanfare and you think you're giving people what they want. Like mm-hmm. we want the creativity. We want to see this old sandbox that we're familiar with, with with a whole new, you know, coat of paint on like the wood on the outside, man. Like we don't really want the same thing over and over again. So I hope they kind of like try and re-spark this franchise because I would love to see Indiana Jones sort of come back. You know, I like the whole superhero fair, but like, man, this is like what started yeah. it. You know, like this is like the Pretty original true. style of like adventure film. So I'm really hoping for a comeback here for many reasons. But and it's, I just it's, hope they don't do that whole trap of we have to play too much to the old film. And hey, look at this nod to that and that and that. And the other time's over. You're like, OK, so an hour and 20 minutes, we had 40 of nodding. And really, it's not much of a movie after that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm totally with you. I, I feel like they've been trying to hand the series off for quite a bit. I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was their biggest attempt to maybe hand it off to Shia LaBeouf, and obviously that didn't go so well. Um, I would be interested in maybe seeing Phoebe Waller-Bridge kind of you know branch out and take on the the, the series in some way, um, which wouldn't just be you know finding a young male, young attractive male to fill the role of Indiana Jones's son or something like that. And then we just get more cookie cutter movies. Um, But I would like to see them kind of dive into some more topics and some more interesting areas that potentially we haven't seen explored in some of these archaeological movies. We're getting one. What's that alien show on History Channel? We're getting a movie about that and stuff. There's a lot of different uh, historical things to dive into that I think could really benefit from the attention of, you know, Indiana Jones or a series like that, even with Steven Spielberg continuing to be involved i mean he's the one that kicked that off so i agree <laughs> sean you had that <laughs> oh no my apology i was peeing so i didn't hear the beginning of that i was trying to do a good behind the scenes look at the podcast um where you know but no okay um no people all bridge would be good uh <laughs> no, for those- also, 
you know, I do miss those uh, those Laura Croft films. So like, it'd be cool yeah. to sort of get another like badass like female like fucking swinging from ropes and shit. And yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. Man. They have a real chance here. Is I guess what I'm saying. And she's someone that could deliver like some like quick quips and you know just like have like you know still be pretty cool, still be pretty sexy. And it's just like you know not to objectify women, but you know also Harrison Ford is sexy, so there we go. Um, but <laughs> like yeah. it, it is just something where it's like she's cool enough to sort of pull off like you know a type of this role. And it seems mangled, right? Isn't he still attached to it? Oh, is he still attached? Oh, that's great. I know that there's been a number of people that have um, come and gone from it. Um, but my quick search says, yes, he's still attached. Um, and there is talk that he may have. Oh, never mind. We're going to jump past that. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, we are getting another Lara Croft movie, Chris. Uh, so, oh, we are? Okay. Yeah, cool. another Alicia Vikander um, is once again going to be Lara Croft. That first movie wasn't bad. It was, um, I mean, I think the problem with recasting roles like that and taking series in the new directions is that you always compare it to the previous. Um, and yes. then was it the two thousands, early two thousands that we got yep. the 2003, one of them came out. Okay. Angelina and, uh, Jolie. Yeah. I have a very specific, like that is like, you want to talk about like being associated with your childhood, watching that film. You remember the blackout of uh, New York city in 2003? Oh Yeah. I was watching that second Tomb Raider movie with my mom in the theater and the power just went out and I was loving it so much. And then it was killing me to go back and see it. And we had to wait like all week and a half. So like, yeah, you want to talk about like hard to get over recasting? Like that's one of the biggest hurdles I'm dealing with on the on the low right now. Not at all <laughs> where I thought that memory was going. But yeah, it's family safe, you know. <laughs> Um, speaking of family safe, Lucy Liu is going to be joining the Shazam sequel, which is Fury of the Gods. Shazam is probably the most family-friendly DC property that there is. Um, I personally think this is really great casting. Lucy Liu was a badass in a lot of films, um, especially the Charlie Angel- Charlie's Angels films. I loved her in them. Um, but she will be playing the villain Calypso, which is sister to Helen Mirren's Hespera. Um, again, these are, uh, as we talked about with the Helen Mirren casting a while ago, these are not direct comic to film translations. Um, they don't necessarily have counterparts in the comics, uh, but they're likely to take on some, um, you know, combo of different uh, characters or entities. Uh, but it's, I think it's good casting. I mean, this Shazam sequel is really turning out to be interesting. I mean, as soon as you sign Helen Mirren as a villain in a comic book movie, like sign me the hell up because she's having the time of her life in her later years. Chris Shazam uh, was this one of your uh, one of the popular DC films for talking TV or uh, for me it is it's uh, in my top three which is a very liquid top three for my favorite DCU films uh, I think that movie was phenomenal I really thought it captured the character. Uh, you know, just the playful nature, but then obviously like he does have this whole sort of kind of Dr. Strange thing going on where there's like, he can be a big player and he does know some big players, but he is like a kid in an adult's body and it's just great. And so, I mean, I, I've been kind of dying for this film because like, I'm a huge, like, I love the DC bright spots and I want more of them. So I don't know why we take so long to get back to the movies that actually, you know, were successful. Like we, we wait around forever and now we're not getting like, you know, the, the Aquaman trench thing that I think we deserved. And, mm-hmm. you know, like they just take so long to delegate, man. So at least we're getting this and I haven't seen her in anything in a while. I know that was the uh, original topic, but I like kill bill. I've clearly seen her and stuff and I'm, I'm cool with it, man. I think it's going to be fun. How did I forget about kill bill? My God. 
Um, Sean, are good casting, bad casting? I mean, I was going to mention Kill Bill because it's perfect casting. Like, I, I, that's all I thought of is this like ferocious villain, and in that, she's hamming it up perfectly for this, um, for this movie. I mean, this sort of universe needs someone like that. Um, I think the balance of Lou and Mirren is unbelievable because these are two just like really intense performers, extremely cool, like a lot of high energy. Um, maybe not as much energy from Mirren, but she sort of balances it out with her suave nature that I am absolutely on board for this. I, yeah. and you know, it, I just love that this movie is just going for broke. It's just, you know, yeah, no Mirren, Lucy Lou, let's go. Like, and they're, they're really just like, you know, so we got two villains that are pretty much strange. We're like, like just like insane. We got Mark strong in the first one and that was pretty much it. And so he was awesome. He held up his own. Some people say there was a villain problem with that, but you know, everyone always complains about the villains. Um, I thought he was great. And now we have two in this one that, you know, who knows if more are getting cast. Uh, <laughs> like, cause at this point I'm ready to hear more. Let's get more people going. Come on. Like, but so uh, I, I, I was going to ask, I was going to ask that, like, who do you think uh, should be cast? And I'm scrolling through Twitter, just making sure that we're not missing any big news as we're talking. And someone just randomly tweeted, uh, it's at Alyssa Marie, L-I-S-S-A-M-A-R-I-E. Give Ray Romano more lead roles is my opinion. And I just keep thinking about Ray Romano in a superhero movie. And what that could look like. Cobra! <laughs> that would be wild that would be wild so chris uh when you guys are ready to do your live reading of everybody loves raymond uh we clearly have our ray romano and sean there dude for sure man i've definitely seen my fair share of ray romano i mean dude they introduced the king of queens dude you know cinematic universe before we had cinematic universes let's not forget (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> and then and then they tried moving past King of Queens with his own show. It didn't work, so they brought Leah Remedy back. <laughs> they, just, they just made King of Queens again. Yeah. They're like, oh, crap. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's move on a little bit uh, to the next big uh, adaptation. Again, talking about Netflix spending a lot of money. Um, a live-action Gundam film is going to be coming to Netflix, and this is, I believe, the first live-action Gundam that we're getting. Uh, and it is in partnership with Legendary and Kong Skull Island director Jordan Vop Roberts is going to be uh, at the helm here. Um, there's no word yet regarding the plot of the film. A lot of people uh, may think of Transformers as soon as you see Gundam, but it's very different and very deep in terms of the lore and history and culture in Japan. Um, I- I'm actually pretty pumped for this because I want to see where they go. And the only thing I keep thinking about is that um, in order to do this successfully, you have to really set yourself apart from Transformers. And I'm very fascinated to see how they do that. Uh, And I think that there's something good that that could come out of this. Chris, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think let's not Americanize it and you have a hit here, Mm -hmm. you know, like play to sort of like the anime roots, like don't do what you did for uh, Death Note, I would say. Even though that is actually a pretty good movie in its own right, it's just nowhere near the manga or the the anime. And uh, so I actually, uh, you know, Gundam's pretty weird because I was always intrigued by it, but like I was never allowed to watch it because my mom thought it was too violent. And then I sort of grew up and didn't really watch those mech animes as much, but I did have older cousins and he texted me and he's like, dude, it's finally happening. And he's like, I think 41. (laughs) He's he's stoked on it. And he was pretty much saying like, yeah, they just got to stay true to it, you know, because we talked about the Transformer thing and they just need to stay true to like the, Mm -hmm. the years of source material. 
and they should be okay. And I'm 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 cool with it, man. Like it seems the robot with the horns, like that guy looks badass, yeah. man. I'll never forget him, you know. I'm so I love hearing stories about you know older people like our age or even a little bit older who are getting excited about properties being revitalized or given new interpretations um, because there is so much great content uh, and great source material, as you said, that can be brought into today and even adapted for today. You're like the, the messaging and the stories and the themes, they're all, they don't, they stand the test of time, I should say. Uh, and I think that we can really util utilize a lot of them to, mm -hmm. uh, to tap into issues of today, societal issues of today. Uh, and I don't know. I'm excited. I don't know much about Gundam, but Sean, were you a Gundam guy? I know less than you about <laughs> Gundam. Um, if you notice, there weren't those moments uh, during this segment where I was like opening my mouth about to say something because <laughs> like there was nothing I had. Um, I will say, um, you know, I absolutely adored um, Kong Skull Island. Um, and so this guy, Jordan Vaughn Roberts, um, as the director, um, I really like him a lot. Um, I think he can make something he, he made. It, it was interesting what he did with Kong. I'm going to try to describe it because he sort of set it apart from the other Kong films. It was its own deal. It was, you know, they had to make Kong bigger in order to fight Godzilla, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, they, they put him in that setting on Skull Island. He made the whole world of Skull Island. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to sort of segment this to, yes, he can set apart something different from Transformers. And, you know, one of my big issues with Transformers is how they very easily transform into the, like, cars and stuff in the movies. Like, they very easily transform into the cars and stuff like that. Like, you don't even see, like, any sort of mechanical thing happening. It's just literally, like, I don't know, nanobots just, like, mold into a car. Um, I think with this, if you sort of put a degree, and I'm about to say this out loud – if you sort of put a degree of realism to fighting robots, then I think that, you know, there, there's, <laughs> there's some sort of way you could do this. I think he's kind of got that. He's got that touch or, you know, I don't know for sure, but it seems like he does. Um, I also know him from a few interviews. Uh, not that I've done, of course, um, but like in those interviews, he was very reflectionary about his uh, failures in Kong Skull Island, which I think, buddy, do not be hard on yourself. You kind of nailed it with that movie. I, I, I truly love it. Um, but he like, you know, and that gets a little bit, you know, annoying maybe that he's like, oh, I'm no good at anything or something like that. <laughs> like, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think he's really reflective, and I think that uh, that's something that he could bring to this. Um, I really, you know. I like truly I'm unfortunately not too excited about this. When you said it, when you said Gundam, I thought it was the uh, documentary about the walking Phoenix pig. So um, I, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> Jesus, I, don't, like, I think it was called something like that. I can't remember. Um, but uh, no, I, I'm excited for people that are excited and I'm looking forward to discovering something for the first time. Yeah, and I'll just add one last thing. I mean, he clearly can handle the scope of the larger-than-life creatures and sort of that that third-act battle sequence, I feel, is in good hands, at least with this one, and that's going to be a huge part of this type of thing because, like, you know, most animes sort of have their typical structure where the end there's the little fight and then we pick it up is sometimes there's a long fight they'll go for like four or five episodes so there's gonna be some mechs smashing into each other and at least we have him dealing with kong and i thought that actually was a pretty good to movie too sean so you know I, people have their issues i can see the points but i doesn't get doesn't get to me like some people 
I feel like seeing some of these MonsterVerse uh, directors branching out and getting other films. I mean, branching out's maybe the wrong term to use when like he's going to uh, Gundam and we have uh, the current, what's his name, Adam Wingard, is it? Uh, who's going to Thundercats. <laughs> like, maybe that's not totally branching out, but I mean, they're being recognized for what they did with a, uh, a genre that sometimes gets thrown away as like not real filmmaking in a lot of ways. Um, and because they say it doesn't have depth Death and stuff like that. Um, Gareth Edwards is another one. I think that mm. I think it's Michael Doherty who did uh, King of Monsters, and that he he hasn't really gotten much pickup. Um, he's done like a lot of trick or treat movies, but that was, uh, yeah, that was a tough uh, movie, the King of the Monsters one. <laughs> yeah, was yeah. not a fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting to see. I again back to Chris's point earlier. Netflix, like, how in the hell? Are they doing all this? It's actually the budget on that one, or I don't know. I don't know that there's any details really that have been released by it or about it. Um, but my lord, I'm sure it's pretty solid because they've been blowing my mind lately with just how much they have in the reserves, dude. I mean, I get it, they canceled like shows like Glow and stuff, but was Glow really that expensive to make? It was pretty stationary. Like you were in the same little ring the whole time. And then you you even decorated that one ring up at the end of the first season. And it was the same place just with like some, you know, drapes and stuff put up to make it look nicer. It is well known. Mark Barron was going to be a robot. That's what they're (laughs) good. It is well known that uh, female wrestling budget uh, for a show about female wrestling is uh, equivalent to a live action anime adaptation of fighting robots in Japan. So um, (laughs) anyway, this this is why we're here to kind of clear up these like confusions. Like that's, you know, come on. No, that's good to know. Thank you, Chris, please ask (laughs) any other questions. We're here with all the details Um, such as Mark Miller's starlight is going to be written in helm by Joe Cornish. So attack the block director, Joe Cornish will write and write and direct the film. I hate when I go back and I'm reading off of posts that I made on guy at the movies and I find a mistake. Because I'm like, oh, man. Um, anyway, film adaptation of Mark Miller's comic Starlight. The story follows a hero who once saved the universe, but nobody on Earth believes him, not even his wife and kids. Suddenly, his spaceship shows up and duty calls. This reminds me, Sean, of Arch Enemy. Did you watch that last year with uh, – it wasn't Frank Grillo. Was it Joe Manganiello? Do you know which one I'm talking about? I don't think I don't think I Arch Enemy sounds familiar, but also because it's called Arch Enemy, that like that's a, just a right. familiar word. Um, so Arch Enemy set was based on and Chris. Did you see this by chance? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Me neither, actually. Um, so it was Joe Mang- Manganiello. One, one day, one week. You're doing great. I'm, I'm I'm rooting for you. Um, a team meets a mysterious man who claims he lost his superpowers after arriving from another dimension. Together, they take to the streets to wipe out a vicious crime boss and local drug syndicate. Obviously, the latter part is not equivalent, but the uh, part about people not believing the stories and stuff like that, and I'm a superhero, it, it just reminds me of that. But I am a big fan of seeing alternative comic projects developed in the film. Sean. Yeah. Like Chris. I would say, that oh. What, oh, <laughs> what this reminded me of was um, something very different. Um, it was the end of Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King, where they go back to the Shire and no one really knows that they saved the world uh, when they dropped the ring in, and everyone's just like, "Where you been?" <laughs> They're just like, "All right, cool. Don't do that." <laughs> Nerding it up. Over there. You don't actually have glasses, so that gesture's not needed. Um, but it, it was, and that's like kind of this, like you know, you're you're humbling the major heroes oh this is big 
Episode 42, and this is when you bring this up in our relationship. <laughs> I, I, I thought you could see this whole time. Um, <laughs> but, um, but like that that humble nature of uh, heroism, which uh, I really sort of love. And the way you said it, the alternative comics, you know, I, I don't think superhero fatigue is a real thing anymore because I'm not getting it. And we're getting a lot of superhero stuff. Pretty much I'm enjoying everything. Invincible. I thought I was going to get superhero fatigue with Invincible. I'm like, well, this doesn't really set anything apart. Then the first episode ended, and I was like, oh, this is different. And so, like, I'm getting something different from that. I'm getting something, a different aspect of it. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, you know, these are just like, oh, Captain America's friends. What are they just going to, like, fight crap? No, we're getting a lot about what, like, you know, symbolism is and stuff like that. I really love that we're seeing something new in every single superhero thing. Everyone claims, oh, they're all the same. I'm getting new and fresh things. This especially because this is from a different source, different character, mm -hmm. and so we get something like that can be creatively done. Yeah, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm not even gonna lie. I hadn't heard of this uh, comic until I went to guyatthemovies.com and saw the article, and uh, so it actually looks really interesting, man. Because I am a huge Brian K. Vaughn fan. I read a lot of comics, but everyone's like, so why don't you know about this thing or that thing from Marvel or DC? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I read those to start, but then I wanted to see what else was out there. And I fell in love with the alternative voices, like the boys and stuff. I'm not going to say I was like, you know, the hipster or anything, but yeah, I read it a few months before it got announced, whatever. <laughs> um, anyways, um, this looks really cool and I'm going to read it tonight. Probably I have comiXology, so that'll be, it's probably on there. They always do a good job of sort of getting that on there right when the title gets announced. And you know, like we're, I, I, Sean, the one point I do disagree with you on is I personally do have superhero fatigue, but I feel like my stamina is coming back because of this type of, mm -hmm. you know, giving new voices and, and new people a chance. And the Marvel formula really beat me down. You guys probably know that, but it, it did. And I'm glad that phase four, at least, even though it's not a hundred percent for me, I'm talking about you one division and, uh, it's at least something new. So I'm, I'm cool with that. Like I feel refreshed. And so like we have coming down the pipeline, Brian K Vaughn's why the last man and you know, um, paper girls. And it's like, I feel like because, marvel and i have to give him credit for this because of them like we're having this mark miller starlight because people yeah, want more and now we're we're not even just getting the superhero properties that these guys write you know we're getting like some of the even more cooler weirder creepier even if you guys want to talk about like why the last man in some spots like stories coming down the pipeline and so yeah i, I can't be too mad at marvel because i feel like now we're getting to a bright spot and so no i'm really excited you brought this to my attention man because I had no idea about this and it looks actually really interesting. Do you guys find, uh, I mean, I've always been this way. I think only because this, this is how I justify my love for DC. I like the more mature approaches to superhero stories. And I think that Marvel, Marvel does that in some respects, but also kind of pan, not panders. I don't want to say panders because it has a negative connotation, but plays to a wider reach and a wider audience. I think what I like about some of the stories we've seen in DC is more of the mature focus and um, of course i'm getting back to Zack snyder approach of course uh and that's also what a lot of people say it didn't work for dc or doesn't work for dc but when we get to projects like this that's what i'm hoping for i mean invincible is an example of that it's not like it's not mature in that it shuts people out it's mature in that it takes what it is and uh boil like really really focuses on the uh the themes that we haven't seen in a superhero project in quite a while 
Well, it's interesting because it's such a fine line these have to walk. These are people in tights and capes. I know they're not yeah. all in that, but like, the, like these people in tights and capes with superpowers that fight crime. And you know, you gotta, you can't be too serious because otherwise, then you you just sound stupid. Um, but you also can't be fully ridiculous because I don't know that just like flies out off the off the page or off the page. Excuse me, off the screen a little bit too uh, well. And you know, so you have to really like balance that and. It's amazing that so many have, and some haven't. I mean, you know, I, I tear up at Avengers Endgame when they all come out of portals, but that is a bunch of aliens coming out of portals. <laughs> other aliens. I mean, like, it's one of these things where it's like, oh, yeah, why am I big on this right now? Like, but, you know, it worked. They they did something there. And so they're able to walk that line. But now it seems like it's like, oh, we got to work a little bit harder. And so we get something like Invincible, which it's nuts that I'm talking about Invincible working harder. This is this animated Saturday morning cartoon looking show that just kind of nails it like perfectly. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really glad that sort of other companies decided to throw their ring into the superhero hat in, in such a unique way, you know, like with Invincible sort of being able to challenge those DC animated films, which are actually really good like it's like the one thing dc kind of doesn't ever really mess up for the most part for the most part justice league dark a little skeptical on that <laughs> one still but you know like and and we have the boys clearly being that sort of deconstructionist take on the superhero genre and sort of asking us why do we like these marvel films do we like them because it's what's happening now and it's the water cooler moment as is at least what i get from the boys or do we like them because we genuinely actually want superheroes and so yeah, this phase four era of Marvel, which I'm going to say all this is under the umbrella of, is probably where I'm going to be like as superhero crazy as I was back in phase one. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to it all. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, sure, oh. go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, th that is crazy because you're right. Like one was where, you know, anything could happen. Like we're just getting an Iron Man. We're getting a Thor. We're getting a Captain America. It's just like we're throwing some people out there. Oh, wait, then we're going to bring them together, bring them together. Then we're going to put them apart again a little bit. Like, and then that, that, that happens a little bit in, you know, phase two. Then phase three, it's like we have an exact plan. Everything is working in the gears and we're getting this exact movie at the very end. Now with four, it's kind of like, all right, well, um, a lot of them are dead. So now we're just going to like, you know, we're going to just really mess with a lot of new things. So it does. You're right. I didn't even think of that. It really feels like a phase one again. Unless they go the Fast and the Furious route where they just like bring back everyone. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, so before we wrap up and we get into uh, some of our final thoughts on where you can find us, I do want to share this. Uh, back to Chris's conversation or Chris's sharing earlier of uh, his love for Kim's convenience and the uh, the cancellation that occurred. And it seems like there's a lot of confusion around why it actually was canceled. Um, Simu Liu, who uh, is playing Shang-Chi, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. had shared his thoughts last night on Twitter. Uh, and I'm not sure if you saw this yet, Chris, but comicbook.com oh, comic or com uh, CBR.com just shared this. So, he says, on the eve of what is now to be the series finale of Kim's Convenience, I hoped I'd be at a point where I could speak about it with a clear head, but the truth is I'm still pretty effing angry. Hours of therapy are sure to follow. You all deserve the proper ending. I have thoughts about our quote-unquote cancellation, and they come with tea and receipts. For now, they will remain in my head. I am pumped for when this spills. <laughs> Man, damn. That's, uh, he, he was very vocal early on sort of about the whole like I don't know how to be angry right now but I am because 
I care for every single person and I understand everyone's decision here because it really seems like, you know, shows talk about being a family, but you got to think about it. Like these guys all hit stardom together, like Nicole Power or, or Powell. I forget how you say her last name. She's getting a, kin- a, a spinoff on the CBC of her character of Kim's, thankfully. Um, and you have an actress in this show who is also on that show, Hands Maiden Tale, Handmaiden's Tale. And so her career has kind of come up from there and so many of these actors that played sort of the bit parts in the handy universe now all have announced that they've gotten agents. And so hopefully they start popping up and things. And it's like, they were all kind of like starter agent, starter manager when they got into this show. And now they're like the top dogs in Canada and they didn't even get to complete. They had one more season and it was going to be done and they were going to wrap it all up. But it's like, they were such a family. It's like, you know, when you're just mad at your family, but you can't stay mad, but you're so mad in the moment. I feel like, that's what it has to be like, right? But what do you guys think about that, you know? What's interesting about this is uh, this guy is good. He's going to be Shang-Chi. Um, he doesn't need to care about this. And he cares about the fans. He cares about like wh- he cares about the art that he was in. And I think that that's probably one of the most noble parts of this is yeah. um, he like th- – like because, you know, hey, I mean, he, he's right now lead role in a, you know, let's call it a Disney movie, a Disney movie. And so like right now th- there's a reason there were two stars over the fucking – and it was just one of those things where I I think that um, – like I, I think that probably is the most noble thing. That makes me love him even more. I'm going to be following this guy's career. I mean obviously I am because I'm going to be seeing him in uh, Shang-Chi, but uh, I'm happy to be following this guy's career now. And, uh, you know, I wish him the best and all of the others too. Like, like you said, they all pretty much – have agents they're uh, getting sort of spinoffs and so they're gonna be okay but they still care about the fans of this yeah. show and me, i think uh, that's like really cool dude for sure and let me throw one more thing to sort of like play to your point sean because you totally hit the nail on the head and it i guess it is really that transparent just how passionate he was with the one tweet you know paul um the lead who plays appa um he is the world's biggest star wars fan for years he's gone to conventions he has this whole room in his house that he jokes about all the time on his uh instagram that his wife uh you know which she asks him what's more important your star wars room or me you know it happens a lot i guess and so that show got him to be on the set of star wars like without oh that God. show he he was the little kid who dreamed of being an actor and his dream job was to be in star wars and because of this show he got to achieve it so it's like man like it's just so heart-wrenching for these guys to not be able to get the conclusion for and the strangest thing is is the first time ever that the network didn't cancel the show and this and the weird part is the producers have the rights to the show cbc was just distributing it and so because of that, the producers don't feel that they can handle finishing off this arc, this this sixth season without the lead writer who walked away. So it's so weird in the sense that even if everyone's like Netflix, pick this up, pick this up, that wouldn't matter because it's the CBC wasn't the one who canceled it. You know, it's it's a matter of them not having the creative confidence to complete this. So it doesn't matter if another network comes in or not really weird it's a weird one i mean west wing was fine after sorkin left i mean obviously the sorkin years are great but like they can piece something together for a final season i mean i'm sure they had a plan in place i mean that seems like a weird reason larger than life in canada right now though you know what i mean like it's like the number one show over there right now it's really odd i'm like the whole situation is just kind of unheard of when it comes to a show that's that close to the finish line having such turmoil behind the scenes where you have a writer walking away as the writer or creator. Did you say both, both. Yeah. And and then you have one of the stars speaking out this way saying there's tea and receipts, like receipts for what, like what, what was said and what really is going on behind the scenes. That's absolutely crazy. 
Um, my gut feeling is that CBC wanted to bring Joss Whedon in to finish it. Um, and- <laughs> Just get, get that cut going. We need the, we need the Joss Whedon cut of Kim's oh, convenience. <laughs> I would quit everything. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, we went through quite a lot of stories tonight and had quite some fun chatting. Uh, I did cut a few stories. I don't know if you noticed because we were <laughs> we're running an hour and a half right now. While I love talking with you, um, I don't know that everyone wants to hear us that long. So, um, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not. Great me. conversation. Trust me. Um, this week we have a couple new releases coming out. Arlo the Alligator Boy is coming to Netflix. It's an animated musical. Actually getting good um, good reviews, which is uh, pretty surprising to me. Um, and then Sebastian Stan's indie film Monday is coming to theaters and VOD on Friday. Um, I This is a movie that I'm actually really excited for. I personally love Sebastian Stan as an actor. Uh, so I'm very excited to see what this movie is all about. Um, other than that, we Sean, we want people to join that damn Oscar pool. We're up to 16 people in it as of uh, a few minutes ago. Um, which is pretty fun. Um, and I'm excited to kind of go back and forth with people to see, you know, the, the highs and lows of Oscar night when we find out who's, you know, who's, who's in the lead. It's really great to try it out because, you know, like I, I am uh, the, uh, you know, uncontested uh, Oscar es- expert um, and uh, I might <laughs> screw everything up. Like I'm like the guy in the bracket in March Madness that knows everything about every basketball team, but doesn't realize that like those 14 seeds come in or like Oral Roberts, you know, actually learns how to shoot. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, the the guy that knew everything about their bracket and they're out of the tournament completely. That could be me. So like that's what's fun about the Oscars is there's a lot of different capabilities, uh, like there's a lot of different like, you know chances to win but to be fair to be fair sean you and uh 35 million other people were also out on oral roberts moving as far as they did so i almost picked oral roberts so i don't want to even talk about that but yes that is true (laughs) it was absolutely insane um chris we're very thankful to have you here always enjoy having you and you certainly always have a seat at the table when you're ready and willing to come back and deal with us um please let people know where they can find you and what you're doing as well as talking tv for sure. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate this, guys. This was, it doesn't feel like an hour and a half. Like, this really <laughs> flew by. Like, I had, I guess it's nice to get your say in, but also it's always great talking with you guys. So, uh, it's it's a little hard talking with Dom. Sometimes you feel like you're talking over Dom, but, you know, you guys get it. And, Are we uh, keeping that in? Do we keep that in? We're keeping it in. Keep that in, because Dom knows I love him, and he would say the same thing about me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, guys, I, I also do this type of thing here on YouTube and other places. Uh, you can find my podcast, my show, where we talk about movies, TV, and all that other type of good stuff right th- there. Yeah, Talking TV Podcast. Uh, follow, subscribe, please, if you could. That'd be greatly appreciated. Sean's actually going to be on the show soon. Him and Dom and uh, a few other reviewers here in our community, Brando Critic and a few other guests who I won't spoil right now. Wednesday, um, April 21st, they're going to be doing like an Oscars best and worst sort of bracket shootout showdown type of thing. Dom planned it. It might be messy, but it, at least that means it's going to be fun. So like tune in, you know, and uh, <laughs> that that's about it, man. I appreciate it, Joe. I have my own personal Instagram. I make music. I have another podcast uh, at Christian Ivanko, E-V-A-N-K-O, and keep up to date with everything. And I really had a great time tonight, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Always. Um, I will say it's always entertaining to be on your podcast and your your streams and all of that. It's always a good time. We give Dom a lot of shit, but um, he makes it very entertaining uh, and, you know, is part of why I think you guys are being so successful because you guys 
play off of each other very well. Um, even though I like to give him a lot of shit. Um, but it's funny when you talk about him planning that because you can totally tell when Chris is planning something versus when Dom is planning something. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I think I said that to his face once. Fa- face here. Sean, <laughs> where can people find you? People can find me at Math Teacher Movies on Instagram. I do monologue Mondays, what the Oscars got wrong Wednesdays, and final shot Fridays. I also review movies of old and new and TV shows of old and new. I also have a column on guy at the movies.com called Sean's Awards Watch. Awards Watch with Math Teacher Movies. It's been running since January, and we will get it at some point. <laughs> I thought it was Sean's Awards Watch. I really did. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, and I'm uh, Joe from Guy at the Movies. You can find me at Guy at the Movies.com, Guy at the Movies on Twitter, Guy at the Movies one on Twitter, Guy at the Movies on Instagram, as well as Letterboxd and all the other fun stuff. Um, we do want to share that next week's podcast is going to be an Oscars centric podcast. So we won't have a live stream next week, um, but we will have probably, it's probably going to be a lengthy podcast if I uh, know us and Oscars. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. That'll be a good conversation that will release on Wednesday morning, the 21st, and then tune in later that night with talking TV uh, for all of the fun over there around the Oscars. Um, and one other uh, plug, if I can, is that prior to this, I w- sat down with the cast of a film called Freebird that is now available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google. It's a really good feel good film about, uh, you know, life and kind of uh, mistakes that we may have made and the journey that we all have to, uh, uh, to living out our, our last days and things like that. It is a really um, feel-good, positive movie, uh, and we don't get a lot of those. So I, I definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, and if you want any uh, further insight into what the film is about or how great and diverse and dynamic the cast is, check that out on my YouTube, uh, that hour chat that we had earlier tonight. Um, they're a lot of fun. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not even going to name them because I always miss like seven of them. But iTunes, Google, Spotify, there you go. They're the big ones, right? Um, I'm not going to name them, but don't let me name them. Um, (laughs) That's the one I use is Overwatch because I'm trendy. Yeah. You know, the one thing people do say about you, Sean, is you are trendy. Yes. Uh, (laughs) uh, Anyway, Sean, one last thing we want to leave people with. Oh, yes. For the love of God. Um, this is their PSA. Uh, wear your damn masks. Wear your damn masks. Wear the masks. Keep wearing the masks. Get your vaccines. Get your vaccines and wear your masks. Get your vaccines and wear your masks. If you're worried about the vaccines because you're watching news reports, talk to your doctor. Don't talk to internet articles. Talk to your doctor. Doctor, 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 doctor. Wear your vaccines and please get your masks. <laughs> I'm sick of saying it. Uh, and you know, on that note with the J and J thing, if you are nervous about it, uh, I, you know, it's, it's off, it's off the market right now, or it's not being utilized. They're doing what they need to do once anything like this happens. Um, but that doesn't mean that the other two are unsafe. So again, talk to your doctors and follow that. We are double vaxxers, um, <laughs> and, uh, excited to get back to normal and get back to the theaters. Um, Sean, I will, uh, absolutely murder you if you don't see French exit in the next week. Um, so there we go uh, that's good <laughs> it's a good place to end i think chris thank you once again um and we will definitely chat soon